Well, we are, as I said, finishing up our series on worship. By my count, it has been 10 messages and um, actually have shortened the series from when I originally heard it. Uh, was longer, but uh, for our purposes, 10 uh, seemed a good number. And we're going to finish strong this morning, as we sang. We're going to finish strong in talking about the preaching aspect in worship. God's word focused on in our worship service together. And we're going to go through numerous passages, not as many as we did last week. I know last week may have stretched your... Um, your page-turning abilities. We will be only in three passages today. Uh, you can turn to the first one, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13. We'll also be in Psalm 95 in Colossians 1, if that helps you get ready. But as we finish up, again, as a reminder, and... <clears throat> I pray this has been evident to you, and that is that worship is one of God's central commands to his people. It is that important to him. Our worship of him is expected and is something that God takes very seriously, and he does have expectations and principles in his word for how we do that. And in the end, as we leave here and as we continue to worship together, if you are more concerned at the end of the service of what God thought about the service than what you thought about the service or what your family member thought about the service, not that we don't um, enjoy the riches of worship of God. Certainly we do. We should. There should be great joy in that. But ultimately, the first priority is, was God honored? Was our Father pleased? in what we did. And so we're discussing down to the very practical aspects, every aspect of our worship service, how it pleases God and what God expects. And today we arrive at our final topic and related to the worship service, and that's the preaching. As you would expect, the proclamation of God's word is crucial for the service. And we're going to see in Colossians, it really is the key element of pastoral ministry. If a pastor is not teaching and counseling and preaching God's word, he's not being a pastor. It's key, and it's that important. Proclamation and reception, reception of the truths of Scripture are vital to corporate worship. And we see that even as Paul tells Timothy, just this one verse, chapter 4, verse 13, Paul says, until I come, Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, all on that Scripture. Father, help us today to be reminded again of the importance. I don't believe this is in any way a surprise or a new concept to our people. But there are things even today that we need to learn and we need to recognize and be aware of about the preaching of your word in our worship time. Help us to understand your principles and your expectations as we worship together and as we listen and as we hear and as I teach and preach. And may your word be glorified. May Christ be honored 
in this service. May you be honored as we worship you through your word now as we hear it preached. This we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Uh, I thought as I was teach or getting ready for this message on a change in my own life when it came to God's word in particular and my reception of it, um, I had the great privilege of being able to attend a Christian college undergrad and then be able to return for many years to a Christian college for seminary and was in that atmosphere for many, many years of my life and thankful for that. But as I looked back and as I was thinking on this, we had something in both schools, in both universities, well, one was Pensacola Christian College, the other was Bob Jones University. It had something that um, the older I got and the more mature and the more understanding that I had in this principle that we're going to be talking about today, the more importance it had upon my own spirit. And that is both schools had a Bible conference every year in the spring. Now, my first exposure to that as a freshman and then a sophomore and junior, I will admit to something that I tended to look forward more to those speakers who, uh, they all preached God's word in some form or fashion. But at that time in, in my spiritual growth, I really enjoyed a good story. And there's nothing wrong with stories and preaching. Right? We, I think that we need them. That's why I try to incorporate. That's why I'm telling you kind of a story now. They do help us center our mind and our focus upon the truth that's being presented. But some people, some speakers tell more stories than others do. <laughs> and there's a danger is when the, the, the message becomes more of a story time than it is a focus on God's word. But when I was young, I was like, man, I was all about the stories. And I, I counted a good speaker on whether he had a really good story or not, made me laugh or made me weep or whatever. That was important to me. And at the same time, God used those messages and he used his word and he helped me to grow. But by the time I got to seminary and was really, I was there, I was spending the money to study God's word and to get in deep and learn the rich truths of scripture. I found when it came to Bible conference that I really wasn't as impressed or as motivated by stories as much as I was. Is this person, is this speaker correctly and accurately portraying God's word? And there came to a point, even my first year of seminary throughout, and, and nothing on the speaker. You can always learn, even on maybe um, a, a speaker that does less than, than your expectations. There's always something you can learn when God's word is preached, even if you just look at the passage and just read the passage as the person is making their way through preaching it. But I was always disappointed by those that spent more majority of the time just telling stories and not really getting into the meat of God's word than for those that explain the truths in a way that, that, I, that gave me further understanding, that helped my understanding of God's word. I came to more of an appreciation for those speakers and longed for those speakers because I longed for the truths of God's word to continue to learn those in my life and for God to be honored through his word. 
That really is our expectation, should be our expectation as we come to worship God together. And that's my expectation and hope for you is that in the end that you won't leave with the really funny or the not so great story that Pastor Brock told during the message, but that you leave with your minds focused and understanding better the truths of God's word. Then I can say that we have accomplished worship in the preaching because God's word has been exalted. We're going to see that this morning in these passages. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13, Paul makes this very clear that we must proclaim God's word in our worship service, and it should be read publicly. And Paul writes here of his intention to visit Timothy and the church that Timothy is leading. He says, until I come, there's obviously at some point uh, Paul expects to be there himself, but he says, you continue to be faithful, Timothy, until I get there. And how, are you be, how will you be faithful? By laying out, he lays out the responsibilities of Timothy as a pastor. And the public reading of Scripture is first in line here. The public reading of Scripture, Paul makes clear, must have a presence in worship. And then we're going to see after that the exhortation and the teaching of Scripture is part of the preaching, and it must be preached publicly as well. That's why uh, I believe that our scripture reading is so important. Thankful for Gary reading the scriptures this morning, and for those men that helped me out with that, because the actual public proclamation of scripture in worship is a key element of worship, and of course, in the services, in, in the message as well. I've had the privilege of hearing a lot of men speak over the years and preach a um, long list of, of people, and some uh, were more helpful to me than others. There was one, I remember having the opportunity to hearing him speak several times, good speaker, but, but there were times where the end of the message came and there was something bothering me about the message, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it because the man had explained God's word. He'd gone through the passage and made it clear his interpretation. I thought, what is it that, that bothers me and concerns me about that this message and the way that it's being preached? And I, as more I thought about it, I realized, you know, he never actually read the scripture. Well, that may seem kind of odd to you, but there are um, pastors and there are speakers that can actually get up and and the, the passage was given, and yet there was a discussion about the passage. There was an explanation and an interpretation about the passage, but sometimes the passage can be skipped in the reading of it altogether. And folks, I think, I honestly believe that if a pastor does that, he has missed part of his responsibility as a pastor and making sure that the passages that he's explaining have been read straight out of Scripture, not just his own interpretation, not just his own explanation, but the passage needs to be read so that people, first of all, are focused on what God's Word says before the pastor then gives his interpretation and his teaching of that. It's important. And the public reading of Scripture is important. But also, certainly, God's Word needs to be preached publicly. 
That word exhortation is encouragement to follow Scripture's truth, an encouragement and pleading for people to follow after the truths that they have just heard recited from God's word. That's exhortation, passionate pleading with people, and then teaching on its meaning, explanation, so that the folks, as script, after scripture has been read, there's teaching and there's further understanding that is given. That is a primary um, expectation of pastoral ministry. And this pattern would have been uh, very familiar to Paul's readers, to Timothy. This certainly followed the Jewish synagogue tradition where most of the worship service included um, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures being read and being discussed. And we even have descriptions of the early church meeting together after the initial apostles had passed on. The early church took what Paul said to heart here. And we have evidence from our early church fathers that the services were heavy on this vital aspect of corporate worship, that it was mostly um, reciting scripture, whether the Old Testament or the writings of the apostles that became the New Testament, and then um, exhortation to following those truths and teaching were most of what incorporated the early church service. This is obviously something that God expects in our worship, that his word must be proclaimed, and Paul makes it clear in this one verse. But furthermore, not just God's word proclaimed, but God's people need to, secondly, respond to God's word in submission. Let's turn to Psalm 95. Psalm 95, verses 6 through 9. A very simple aspect of this. But folks, as God's word is being preached, we need to listen. We need to listen to it. In verse 6 here through verse 7. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And here the psalmist gives us the proper response to corporate worship of God. Should be submission in our hearts or even at times appropriate in a worship service, if it works in, in, into the service, is a posture of kneeling or submission. Bowing and kneeling, as the psalmist says here, are certainly appropriate before God. If we incorporate and that happens in a service, wonderful. It shows that we are submitted in our hearts before what we're about to do for God and to his word. So, in our hearts. We come with an attitude to God's word being preached in the worship service that we are going to submit, to bow down, to kneel before the Lord. Whatever you say, Lord, whatever you say in your word, I'm willing to do. I'm willing to submit to. I'm willing to follow. And that's a hard attitude that I have. And when we come prepared for worship in that way, we will be powerfully motivated, and the Holy Spirit will do a wonderful work in our hearts. Something else here as we continue in verse 7. Verse 7 makes clear that the worship service, and I have said this before, is primarily for God's people. 
outsiders can attend and worship and be taught and learn. But folks, when we worship God together, it's primarily, first of all and foremost, for God's people to be involved in this. Verse 7, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture. He is the only one that we worship. The psalmist is directing us to that. He is the only one, and through this whole worship series, hopefully you understand that. God is the only one that deserves our worship. He is our God, and we are his. He's our shepherd. He owns us. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand, and the people involved in worship are God's. We are his sheep, and so the sheep need to listen to the shepherd's voice and God's people are encouraged to listen through his voice through the preaching of his word the Hebrew word it says the phrase here at the end of verse 7 today if you hear his voice and here the Hebrew word is shama and that word means more than just what is translated many times hearing or, or listening but it's listening with comprehension it's not just a oh, that was a nice sermon, and uh, that was inspiring, and that really made me feel good this morning. I'm, I'm glad for that. And then we leave these doors, and we don't meditate further on the truths of Scripture. That's not what this hearing is. But it says, if you hear his voice, this means in this Hebrew word, it has the expectation of comprehension. That you know when you leave these uh, doors, leave this building today, that you know better what God's word says, that you have comprehended it, and that you're ready to obey it. All of that in this word here and listen, it signifies that we are paying attention and understanding God's expectations from his word. And God and the psalmist says that is the type of listening and hearing, ready to submit understanding. And we have to pray. We have to ask God. I have to ask God, Lord, help the our people, help myself through my study and through my preaching to understand your expectations for us so that we can submit to them and truly listen to your word. Respond to God's word in submission. Truly listen. Pay attention and understanding. Also, not just listening, but responding to it. And here we have a negative example in verse 8 and 9. Do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. And that is an example in Exodus 17, verses 1 through 7, of the first um, hardening of the people's hearts as they um, departed. They hadn't even gotten to Mount Sinai yet. And they were already complaining about water. And they weren't listening and responding in a right way to all that God had done for them. And the psalmist says, don't act like God's people in the Old Testament. Don't act like the people of Israel and harden your hearts. The very beginning of his journey for them, they had hardened their hearts. And then he says, as on the day at Massa, that's in Numbers chapter 20, toward the end, as they were getting ready to go into the kingdom and the, excuse me, into the promised land. And the lack of belief that they had in their rebellion against God in the wilderness, they hardened their hearts again. And all throughout, all the many um, times in between those two times, the people of God did not respond 
to his expectations and to his word as they should have. And God had to deal with them in a very dramatic way. When your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work. Do you remember last week how God called us to test him in this area of giving? He said, go ahead and test me and see if I won't pour forth from the windows of heaven everything that you need. That was a positive example of God calling on us to prove that his word is true. Now, this is the exact opposite of that. This time we have the negative aspect of this where the children, where God's people put him to the test in their disobedience, not their obedience. They disobeyed. They didn't believe all that God had told them. And even though they had seen God's miraculous work and power in their lives multiple times, they rejected him. They didn't respond correctly. See, folks, the expectation when God's word is preached that there will be a positive reception of God's word and a reception of readiness to obey him and not testing him in disobedience and unbelief. They paid severe consequences for it. What well, we've all can think of um, instances where we've people have failed in this, whether it has been um, some parents that are talking to their children and have uh, very adamantly trying to get across their expectations. And the children, even though it's obvious that, that the words are going into their ears, aren't really taking advantage of listening and comprehending. And the parent has to say, look at me, look at me. Are you listening to me? And the child may say, yeah, I heard what you said. I heard the words. But the message didn't actually, there was no, very little, if any, comprehension. And they make that clear as they go forth and disobey the parent again uh, before too long after the warning. You know, sometimes we husbands um, get kind of a maybe a bad rap sometimes about not listening to everything that our, our wives are trying to say. Maybe our wives have had that frustrating time where you're trying to talk to us and say something to us, and we're distracted by a lot of different things. And you may finally just say to your husband, are you listening to me? And the husband just may say, just off the top of his head, well, of course, I heard every word you said. But he missed a lot of what she was trying to communicate. And a humble husband will go back and admit that. I'm sure that never happens with the wives when the husbands are trying to talk to them. We all know examples of that, where we're listening, but we're not really listening. And folks, that happens in the worship service all the time, but it shouldn't. And we shouldn't feel satisfied with coming to church and hearing the word preach and listening to the preaching, but then we leave and there's no real reception and there's no change. After we've heard God's word preached and we have to say to the preacher, we have to say to God, what I really wasn't listening. I really didn't receive your word. We have not been involved in full worship if we do not respond to the preaching of God's word. God's expectation, folks, honestly, 
should be that we'll respond to his truth in our hearts after every presentation of God's word in a service. Sometimes we hear God's word being preached and we're tempted to think of somebody else who we really hope is listening very carefully. Oh, I'm so glad pastor's preaching on that today. So-and-so really needed to hear that message. But honestly, there's not one service where we hear God's word preached where we shouldn't be looking inward. Even if we think in a particular topic, well, I've grown in that and I've made some good strides and some good progress in that. We're not perfect. There's always more change. So really, after every preaching of God's word, we ought to be asking ourselves this question. What change needs to be made in my own life as a result of hearing God's word preached? Always receptive. If we're not doing that, every time we hear God's word preached, then we're not fully worshiping God as a psalmist makes clear. So being receptive and submissive submissive to the preaching of God's word in every worship service. And finally, acknowledging God's word as it points us to Christ. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be looking through at verses 24 through 29. And this is such a rich passage. I could do a series of messages on this passage. We don't have time this morning. There are some central truths here that I want us to understand in relation to preaching in the worship service. That is, first of all, this scripture is central to pastoral ministry. It is central to a leader in a ministry. The scriptures ought to be his primary ministry and his primary focus. And Paul begins in verse 24, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Now that is a verse with a lot of depth that's been misunderstood. Paul's not um, having to um, fill anything that is lacking from Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But if I can just very briefly sum that up, Paul is saying that um, it is the continual experience of the church and even the leadership that they will have to go through suffering. And Paul continues uh, what Christ began in his sufferings to continue to suffer for the sake of the body. And leadership should expect that as well. Uh, the sufferings and the difficulties that it faces um, shouldn't be a surprise to God's people and to God's leaders. So Paul makes that clear, but then he talks about what is central to his ministry as an apostle, verse 25, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. The idea of stewardship is Uh, Paul, in a very special way as an apostle, was given charge over the household, over the body of Christ. And he is, in a real sense, a steward of that and a leader. Even though Paul had a leadership opportunity that is unique to this time period at the beginning of the church as an apostle, 
We don't have apostles today. This can also apply to the leaders of the church today. This can apply to the pastor, that the pastor has a stewardship from God in his leading of the church. And that is to make the word of God fully known. That is Paul's, one of his primary responsibilities as he continued to work among the churches is that he made sure that he was helping people to understand God's word, that um, as God's word was taught and preached and proclaimed, that people knew it well. And that's a primary emphasis for pastoral leadership today, for leadership in the church today, to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, verse 26, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Um, Really, in summation, what Paul is saying here is the church has been blessed to have the truth of God revealed to them that was hidden from God's people in former times. It was a mystery. All that Christ would do and accomplish, yes, um, it was prophesied in the Old Testament, and many passages point to Christ. The whole Old Testament really and overall points to the coming of Christ and the need for Messiah to come, but it was still a mystery. Paul says now that Christ's work has been accomplished and his sacrifice has been made, the mystery has been revealed to his saints, the people of the church, his body. We have the blessed privilege of understanding far more of God's truths than God's people ever did during the Old Testament. And we shouldn't take that lightly, folks. Um, Through Paul's teaching and through the teaching of the leadership and the Spirit's work in illuminating it in people's hearts, we can, uh, God's word can be more fully known and revealed to the church. And so the purpose of preaching in worship is to help you to know God's word in a better way. Again, there is an aspect where the preaching is important to that. Paul makes that clear. Ultimately, it's the Holy Spirit's work as uh, God's word is being taught. And we pray that it's being taught accurately, of course. But it is an important part. It is the pastor's, one of his central responsibilities to proclaim scripture so that people can know God's word well. But as he proclaims scripture, even more specifically, he must proclaim the savior of scripture because the savior is necessary for spiritual victory. And ultimately, folks, as your pastor, I want to proclaim Jesus Christ to you and point you toward him because you need Jesus Christ, even as believers, for further spiritual change and for further growth. And my ministry has failed if I'm not pointing people to Jesus Christ. And Paul makes that clear as well. Look at verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is, what is the glory of this mystery? The glorious riches is Christ in you, the hope of glory, the mystery that has been revealed is the hope of the gospel that unites Jew and Gentile, two groups of people that seemed forever separated in world history. 
and the gospel and the sacrifice of Christ through faith in Jesus Christ and all that he did allows these people to be unified and worship together. And Paul is writing to a church in Colossae that includes both Gentiles and Jews, and they're worshiping together as the body of Christ. And they know this experience of what Jesus has done. And Paul said, it is my privilege to proclaim the glorious riches, riches of the glory of the gospel and the power here in a glowing description in this verse, a beautiful description. Paul is describing the truth of the gospel, that Jesus can dwell in personal relationship with Jew, Gentile, any nationality, and can provide hope of experiencing eternal glory of life with God. Folks, listen, we are gloriously rich if we have relationship with Jesus Christ. And as I, as your pastor, if I make that clear and you realize the riches that we have in Christ and walk out of here marveling and thankful and motivated, then we have worshiped God well. Because we must go from here realizing our need for Christ and growing in our love for him. Jesus Christ is described at the end of that verse, verse 27. Look at this again. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that relationship that we have with Christ is our hope of eternal glory. And all that we face in this world today, what we face today, illness and political disruption and rebellion against God and all these things, Lord, we are, folks, we all look forward to that day when we will be in eternal glory. As Jesus returns and brings us to be home with him, our hope truly is in the eternal glory that we will experience through our relationship with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I get to proclaim the riches of his glory to to you on a regular basis. It is my joy. It is my responsibility. In thinking about this, I do remember a... um, class that I had in seminary. Um, And it was basically a a class where the seminary students, um, where you would preach in front of the seminary dean, the dean of the seminary, um, and he would basically make comments and rate how you had done. And your classmates would also um, give their opinions about how well your sermon had gone over and how effective it was. And it was one of, I'll be honest, one of the more intimidating classes that I had. It's one thing, even as you're preaching in front of your people and your people that love you and care about you and everything, but when you know that you have the dean of the seminary who you've heard preached and is a very effective communicator and your classmates and they're kind of looking for things that they can kind of maybe not be critical of is not the right word, but they can help you along. It can be very intimidating. Now, you know, it's funny, I don't remember a lot of my messages that I preached at that time, but a couple of the other guys stick out to me. <laughs> and there was one in particular that just got in relation to this, this, this guy was obviously trying to do what we're talking about here in relating the glories of Christ to his audience. And he began that message, his message that morning, and he began to talk about how one time his 
parents or some people that were close to him took him to a very special restaurant, very expensive restaurant. And this restaurant was a very expensive steak restaurant. Ruth's Chris, maybe you've been there before. I've never had an opportunity to be there yet. Um, and he had heard about the glories and the marvels of how this steak would taste. And he talked about how he ordered the steak and he gave a lot of detail. And it finally was presented in front of him. And he tasted that steak for the first time. And he said it was glorious and marvelous. And then he turned that immediately into, and that is how um, our relationship with Jesus Christ should be. And as he finished, you know, we knew what he was trying to do. And it might have been effective for some. But I'll just be honest, to hear Jesus compared to a good steak just didn't quite, it, it wasn't quite accurate and helpful for me personally. Now, I'm sure I did some things too as well um, that were less than my best. But here was a guy that was trying to accomplish this, but kind of failed in that regard. But folks, that is the purpose Really, the primary purpose of the pastor's preaching is to relay to you the glories in some form or fashion. We all fall short of this, but my hope is that when you leave these services and we're worshiping God together, that you are worshiping Jesus and full of thankfulness and gratitude for all that he has done for us. It's a steward's responsibility to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ in two ways, Paul says here, verse 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Two descriptions here, two words. That first one, warning everyone. The Greek word is nutheo. Maybe you've heard that before. If you've um, been involved in biblical counseling, in the biblical counseling movement, there's a group that calls themselves Nuthetic Counselors. Maybe you've heard that before. And it plays off of this. And this word is basically the idea of putting one's mind in proper order, correcting course. And it has the um, idea of admonishing and warning the saints and correcting their course warning everyone as we teach Christ about what the, how their relationship should look and reflect, about how they should be worshiping him, about how they should be living their lives. Pastors, leaders ought to be proclaiming Christ to help people correct course in their lives where they have gone off astray and gone wrong, correcting them, bringing them back in their minds, and in, in the practices of their lives, to living the life that they should live, but also teaching everyone the continual teaching of God's word to his people with everyone. And both of these ought to be with all wisdom. If, if, if a pastor is trying to counsel or to teach, and he's not using the wisdom of scripture, that he's not going to be effective. It needs to come from the wisdom, Jesus Christ himself. This is where this teaching, where this counseling, this admonishing comes from. And that is the purpose of the preaching. And so really in every service, if the pastor has not exhorted and admonished his people 
to examine their hearts to make sure that they are um, on the right course, then he has not accomplished the goal for preaching that he should have. And if he is not teaching God's word accurately, then he's not accomplishing that either. Why? What's the goal? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. So it's the goal of leadership. Even during this worship service, through admonishment and teaching to help the saints grow in spiritual maturity, to more completely reflect Jesus' character. That word, everyone mature, in some versions, I think the King James, it says, present everyone perfect. Well, in this life, that's impossible. I'm not able as your pastor to make you perfect. But the power of Jesus Christ is in one day we will appear before him and we will be fully glorified. And we will be complete in that way. And that is what the pastors strive for in their preaching. And pastors really should not be completely satisfied. We'll never be completely satisfied until one day our sheep are completely mature at the return of Christ. So until that happens, we keep preaching. We keep pointing people to Jesus. We keep correcting them and directing them until that one day when we're all together with Jesus and the pastor says, my work's done. And we're complete. And we present everyone mature, fully mature in Christ. What a wonderful, wonderful day that will be. Now I look forward to that day. But in the meantime, Jesus must be a major focal point of regular preaching and a focal point of my preaching as well. And then Paul says, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. This is Paul's central struggle and what he gives his energies toward is so people will understand the truth of Jesus Christ and change and grow to reflect him more in their lives. So what is the pastor's primary responsibility then in worship? To proclaim God's word, but specifically the glories of relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus should always be, folks, a major focal point of regular preaching. And I will admit to you, you said, well, you talked a lot about other men, pastor, that had some struggles. One of my own preaching that I'm continually analyzing at the end, did I proclaim Christ fully? Are people leaving at the end of my message, remembering, thinking on their need for Jesus? Folks, we can't make it out there in the world today without focusing and remembering our need for Jesus. We're needy people and we need our Savior. And the pastor and the preaching as we worship together ought to be focusing you on that need for Christ to continue to depend upon him. And I'm constantly thinking through, did I accomplish that in my past, in my preaching? Well, you might say in the morning service, in the evening service, yeah. I'm thinking even on Wednesday nights, though, as we go through Life of David. Are there ways that I can legitimately, again, point people to Jesus? And talk about Jesus through that as well. It's important. So, as we finish up this series, worship is again primarily accomplished in pleasing God with its content, not men. 
And the joy that man receives from true worship of God is real, but it's a secondary consideration because we are striving to honor God fully in our worship service. That's our ultimate responsibility. Every Sunday morning, especially, whether music or giving or prayer or preaching, all come with expectations from God that we must submit to. Or we're at the very least involved in deficient worship to some degree or another. Folks, we don't want that to happen. So by God's grace, let's make sure that as we worship together in all of these areas, that we're not offering him less than our best. And that Jesus Christ is being proclaimed to a world that needs him as we worship together. Father, thank you for the privilege of preaching but it is a great responsibility for those that lead in this time. May we be true to our calling, that your word is being portrayed, that is being read, is being accurately taught, is being admonished, and that Christ is being proclaimed. Then, folks, may the he- Lord, may the hearers, As they listen, may they have hearts that are ready to submit, ready to receive, and ready after every service as we finish worshiping to change through the power of Christ in them. Help us to be humble and be receptive to the preaching. And let us worship you well to the best of our ability. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.